Man, so we are privileged to be back here again. I'm always excited to share the word. We are still working through the book of James. We're still in the chapter three of the book of James, and we're still working through the elements of taming the tongue. If you remember last week, we introduced the subject of taming the tongue, and we spent a lot of time referencing what exactly that looks like in the life of the teacher and in the life of the believer in general. If you remember, we also spoke about, spoke about the source of our issues of the tongue all being settled, not just in the tongue, but they're settled and found in the heart. Today, we want to pick back up in verse number two in chapter three of James, but we want to move further down and see the magnitude of this seemingly small instrument in our mouths. Before we begin, however, I do want to at least bring some clarity to why the tongue is so dangerous. We spoke last week about how many words we speak on average just a day and how many times we can easily speak words carelessly. But we have to figure out what makes the tongue dangerous in particular. I want you to think of it this way. In all of the opportunities that you will have to sin, the sins of the tongue are by far the least guarded. See, what, what often happens is that the sin has very little filter once it comes through your heart and in your mind and right out of your mouth. See, most of our sins we are able to commit are covert, they are hidden, they are secret sins. Most of our sins, none of us would ever dare commit them in public because we know just how heinous they are, not only in the eyes of God, but they're also heinous in the eyes of other people. But the sins of the tongue are the ones we are not only most comfortable with people seeing, they are often the most, the most diligent we are to use and to commit. See, there's a lot more thought in the other sins, our secret sins. There, there's some prep time, there's some premeditation, there is some planning to those sins, there is some designing our lives around our opportunity to fulfill those sins, but not with the sins of the tongue. Very often the sins of the tongue, no matter how much we try to think, it comes out. How many of you ever said, I don't know what I was saying? I didn't, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. But what you are thinking and what's in your heart will always come out of your tongue. See, I want you to think, of, think about it like this. If I am having a particularly lustful thought, more than likely, if I'm in public, I'm in no shape, way, or form in any position to be able to act out on that lustful sin. If I'm very angry at someone, I may not be in a position to actually act out on that anger in that moment. So what do we typically revert to? We typically revert to the easiest form for us to be able to get that sin out of our hearts. And that usually is through our mouth. See, if I'm violently angry and I'm not somewhere where I can fulfill that anger, I'm going to be able to say something that will beat you up with my words. If I'm jealous or envious of who you are or the position you have, which again is a sin, then while I can't slander you in any other kind of way, I'm going to slander you with my tongue. I'm going to bring accusations up 
against you, whether true or not true, so that I can slander and destroy your character since I can't actually destroy you. If I'm having a particularly lustful thought and I really want to act it out, but I know it's not convenient in that moment, I may be willing to let you know what my intentions are through my tongue. See, the tongue will always be the gateway to our deepest, darkest inhibitions. Because a lot of times, because we can't get it out in our flesh, we got to get it out in our tongues. And that's why most of us are in positions where we damn ourselves and condemn ourselves in our own lives because we have this uncontrollable sin that we have not allowed God to deal with in our hearts and we have worked ourselves in difficult situations because the sin comes out in the only way we can get it out and that's through our tongues. In other words, our tongues are the gateway to all of our secret sins to come out. And that's where we'll begin today. James chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member. Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So that's the title of the sermon today, The Tongue is a Fire. Now, we spoke about the A portion of verse 2 last week, but we do need to look at the latter second portion of this text into verse 3. James is telling us here that if the mature Christian is able to bridle their tongue, then they are able to bridle their entire bodies. He then says, look at the horses. Look how big they are. Look how strong they are. Look how majestic they are. Look how easily a horse should be able to overtake any man with their strength. But just by placing a bit on the tongue in the mouth of the horse, you are able to control its entire body. It's a masterful illustration by James because he's telling us this large animal that could easily subdue all of us is subdued not by doing anything else to the entire body. But if you get the mouth, the body will follow. Remember last week when I said that if there is an undisciplined tongue, very often there is an undisciplined life that follows. Now, let me be clear. That doesn't mean that you aren't a Christian, okay? That just means you are undisciplined in those areas of your life. But remember, we said the tame tongue is not just evidence of your Christianity, but it is evidence of your maturity, as a Christian. And that brings us to our first point today. If you tame the tongue, 
the body will follow. If you tame the tongue, the body will follow. That's what James is saying to us. That's exactly what he's saying to us. He is using the horse as a metaphorical illustration, but it remains true in us. But why? It goes back to what I said earlier. If the easiest, quickest, and most, most reactionary sins we commit are the sins of the tongue, to rid and eradicate any area of sin in our lives comes at a great cost to us, but it comes at a great reliance and dependence on the Holy Spirit. But none comes at a greater cost than taming the tongue. Why do many of us have such a problem taming the tongue? Because the untamed tongue is a symptom of sin, but it's not the cause of it. So why do you say that? Many of us have treated our tongues as the cause of our sins, but it's the result of sin. See, if I go to the doctor and I'm telling him I'm having a headache, And he only gives me a prescription to manage the pain. While the pain has subsided, I haven't gotten to the source of it. See, very often we are trying to sin manage the effects of our tongue when the result of the tongue is the sin that is already lying deep inside of your heart. So in order to tame the tongue, you can't simply tame your words. You have to put a focus on taking inventory of who you are and where you stand with God. That's the only effective way to do it. If the tongue is a product of sin in us, hear this, then that must mean that there are several different types of sins we can all commit by way of the tongue. And the Bible tells us many of them. And so what I want to do today, and if you have anything to write on, I'm going to list several different types of sinful tongues you can possibly have. And as we do this, I want you to take note of the scriptures that I give you and also look at these. And as the Bible says, examine yourself as I had to do when I was looking through these scriptures. I had to look at myself not as a preacher, Not as a pastor, but as the father of my children and the husband of my wife and figure out how many times have I been guilty of some of these sins of the tongue. The first one that we're going to look at today is the lying tongue, the lying tongue. Proverbs 25 and 18, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword, or a sharp arrow. The lying tongue is not just the overt lies that we tell, but it is also when we claim to know information about somebody or a group of people, and we share that information whether we know it's true or not. Likewise, a lying tongue can simply be omitting the facts See, we think lying is just when you commit a lie, but it's when you know facts that lead to the truth and you intentionally omit those facts so that the whole truth cannot be told. Somebody used to tell me like this, I think it was my mother, a half truth is a whole lie. 
See, even if you're telling a little white lie, the root of the reason you tell that lie is not to protect the feelings of the individual. It's really to protect yourself because you don't want to have to feel comfortable about uncomfortable about telling somebody the truth. Any time that the tongue, the tongue is used to tell lies, that is done so under the power of Satan himself. That is what leads us to tell lies. It is done so under the power of Satan himself. You say, well, how do you get that? The book of John tells us that Satan himself is the father of lies. So anytime I tell a lie, it is because of the influence of Satan. Let's look at the next tongue. The flattering tongue. Psalms 5 and 9. But there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Now you may think, what's wrong with a flattering tongue? Doesn't everybody want a compliment? There's nothing wrong with flattery. Flattery is not a compliment. Flattery is when you just say what a person wants to hear in order to gain some ground or merit in their lives. And very often you embellish things about them so that they can smile and think favorably of you. Very often when we are flattering people, we are forging a compliment that we do not really mean. We see a case of, flattering, of a flattering tongue in the book of Acts trying to disguise itself as a Christian when it was really a demon. Look at Acts 16 and 16. You may be familiar with this. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. See, this woman who was possessed by a demonic spirit was using flattery as an attempt to cover up what her real intentions were. That's what we do when we commit flattery. Let's look at the next tongue. A proud tongue. Psalms 12, 3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? See, the proud tongue is the product of an overly self-dependent person who only seeks their own self-glorification. Even when attempting to be humble, the proud tongue cannot resist of reminding you just how good they really are. The next tongue. Now I'm praying for you before we get to this one. The gossiping tongue. Uh-huh. 2 Corinthians 12 and 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling or jealousy or anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. 
See, the gossiping tongue is different than a tongue that bears false witness. See, a tongue that bears false witness takes what they don't know is true and spreads it like a wildfire about a person. Gossiping is when you take true information and share it because it makes you feel good to slander that person's name. What is the root of a gossiping tongue? Jealousy. Envy. Because regardless of what is said about a person, the Bible tells us in Galatians that if you know a brother or a sister who is in a fault, you pray for them. You who are spiritual, you restore them so that after you pray for them, you won't be tempted as well. See, the product of the Christian life is not that you go around telling everybody's business. When you know the business, you pray for them. But I would ask you to make this assessment. If gossip is trash, which it is, people only put trash in what will receive trash. If people feel so comfortable coming to you to gossip, perhaps you are the trash can that they are throwing that trash into. The next one that we are going to look at is the complaining tongue. Philippians 2 and 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. This is one of the more common sins we commit. Many of us are guilty of murmuring and complaining. This sin is particularly offensive to God because many of us will pray about jobs, We'll pray about spouses, we'll pray about families, we'll pray about that and the like, only to complain about what we pray to God to get. The root of that is unthankfulness and ungratefulness. The next one that we see is the cursing tongue. I'm praying for y'all. Psalms 109 and 17, he loved to curse. Let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing. May it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. Another common attribute of many Christians and one sin I actually have a personal great disdain and displeasure in is cursing. It is the stark misuse of the tongue which should be used to bring blessing and edification to all of those around us. But instead we use it to curse and to destroy. Many times the reason that we curse is because we will look arbitrarily in the Bible and say something about how Peter cursed. But remember, Peter only cursed because he was denying who Jesus was. If cursing was, was the cause of Peter's denial, then perhaps denying Christ in your own life will always lead you to curse. More importantly, what the psalmist says here is that the person who speaks cursing is actually speaking in opposition to blessing in their own life. Perhaps the reason blessings have been held up in your life is not because everybody else is wrong, but maybe you are cursing out of your tongue too much. See, even with that, these are a few of the types of sinful tongues. 
You know there are more? I'll just list them for you. There is the overused tongue, the backbiting tongue, the swift tongue, the tail-bearing tongue, the lustful tongue, the piercing tongue, and get this, the silent tongue. Every sin of the tongue can be categorized in a way that shows up in your life in some kind of way. If Christians make a concerted effort to diligently and intentionally control their tongues, as we mentioned last week, it must include your hearts. If a Christian is allowing God to slowly sanctify them, then it will make these sins less present and prevalent in our hearts, in our tongues, and ultimately in our lives. Now, many of you are saying, well, that makes sense. But how do we do it? If I'm having an issue in my tongue, if I'm having an issue in my heart, don't leave me hopeless. How do we do it? How do we make that effort? Well, the first thing that you need is the Holy Spirit. That's what you need. Without him, it is impossible for you to exercise the necessary discipline in your life. Look at what John 16 and 7 tells us. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. God has sent us a helper. The word in the Greek that's used here is one that comes alongside you. But thanks be to God, he doesn't just come alongside us. He comes inside of us. And that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he helps, he comforts, he convicts. The Holy Spirit has all the attributes necessary for your and my sanctification. If we have problems in our lives, then we need him to not just come alongside us, but to dwell in us and be our strength. Now, I realize that some of you may think you need to go a little bit more in depth, but I can't. I can't go more in depth about that because that's as deep as you can get. Either you have the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit or you do not. If you have the Holy Spirit and is not producing sanctification in your life, that's because as the Bible tells us, you have to be filled by the Spirit. Now, the feeling comes as a result of our everyday attempts to seek after the heart of God. So when the Bible tells us in Hebrews that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, he is constantly filling us up. Now, that doesn't mean that you're ever not filled up if you're a Christian, but there are some times that you try to fill yourself up with you. And that's why every day when we wake up, we have to commit ourselves to the cross again because I wake up full. But I need God to conversely fill me with the spirit again so that I am not too present in my own life. Now, the first assessment you can make for taming the tongue is, am I really a Christian? That is a viable question. 
And that is not just a question that you should ask when you feel like I ask myself that question every single day because I don't want to fool myself and deceive myself that I did all this labor in vain. So I wake up every day and I take inventory. God, am I really a Christian? But one thing that always gives me encouragement is I couldn't be a Christian yesterday and wake up and not be one today. When he saved us, he sealed us, he sanctified us until the day of Jesus Christ. And that is my comfort. And so I look at God, I say, if I was a Christian yesterday, let me be a better one today. Now, if you can't say the Holy Spirit lives in me, well, that's the first problem. That's why you can't tame the tongue. And I guarantee if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you ain't taming much else either. Now, we have opportunities for that. And if you're here today and you say, I don't think the Holy Spirit has taken residence in me, we'll be meeting with some of you in the choir room after service. I would definitely implore you to be in that meeting. But if you say, I am a Christian, I do have the Holy Spirit, but I'm having a particularly difficult time taming my tongue. I still have outstanding sin in my heart. Then we can help you there as well. That brings us to point number two. Taming the tongue requires a sacrifice. It requires a sacrifice. Now, many of you are thinking, okay, sacrifice, cool, I can do that. I can give up some food. I can give up some screen time. I can give up some TV time. Because if I focus more on God, then I can control my tongue, right? That's not the kind of sacrifice I'm talking about. What kind of sacrifice am I talking about? I mean to literally place it on the altar as a sacrifice. That's what I mean. There was a woman at Warren Wearsby's church who had had a particularly difficult time with gossip. And Warren was very familiar that this woman had this issue and had tried several times with no success to tame her tongue. And so she came to him and said, Pastor Warren, I... I'm still having problems taming my tongue, but I think I know what I need to do. She said, I think I need to just put my tongue on the altar. Warren looked at her and said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but there is no altar big enough for that tongue. Now, the problem is, and I would disagree with Warren in this way, the problem is, is that she was trying to put her tongue on the altar. That is an issue. What I want you to realize today, it's not until we get on the altar That's how I know the altar is in fact big enough because it may not be able to to just take my tongue. In order for me to tame and discipline any sin in my life, I got to get on the altar. I have to be the sacrifice for what's going on in my life. How do we know that? We can look at it in Romans 12 and 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
I love this scripture. Paul appeals here to the brothers in Christ by that, by the mercies of God, by his gracious mercy, they would present their bodies as living sacrifices. We are those living sacrifices. See, the contra- see contrary to the Old Testament, where you took a dead sacrifice that could only cover for your sins, he's saying, in contrast to a dead sacrifice, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, as a living human, submitting yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Enslaving yourselves to his lordship because Jesus has paid the ultimate penalty of death that we had to pay. So we can't be a dead sacrifice. We can only be a living sacrifice. See, Jesus paid the penalty on our behalf. So we present ourselves. Now, God in all his infinite wisdom and power and authority could stretch every last one of us across the altar if he needed to. But he doesn't. He doesn't do it on his own volition. Paul tells us to present ourselves in the present imperative to present actively present yourselves as those living sacrifices. Now. I want you to understand this, but I do not want to confuse you. This is both a voluntary and a mandatory act. It's voluntary because he don't put you on the altar, but it's mandatory because any real Christian going to get on that altar. And if you are a Christian, you are going to volunteer yourself. This means that we are making the conscious choice to volunteer the entirety of our bodies and our beings as slaves To the righteousness of God. Paul says that it is our spiritual service. King James says it is our reasonable service. Now this is actually a rare case where both translations get it it right. Because the Greek word here is logikos. And what that means is your rational service. A lot of times when we see reasonable, we interpret it as the least that we could do. It ain't the least you can do. It is the most you can do to present the entirety of your bodies to be accepted in the eyes of Jesus Christ. But it is rational. Let me tell you why it's rational. If Jesus Christ stood in my place as the sacrifice for my sins, the most rational thing I could do is give him the entirety of the body and the person and the being that he saved. Anything else I do with my body, my mind, my heart, my spirit, and my soul is irrational. So if I am in this room and I'm not a Christian, that is the most irrational thing you could be doing. So, what is he saying? We have to submit every part of ourselves, every instrument, every member as a total use of his righteousness and his glory. So what am I saying? The larger point is, if God doesn't have all of you, he has none of you. He has none of you. God cannot have your head, but he doesn't have your tongue. 
God cannot have your feet, but you have wandering eyes. God cannot have your mind and not have your hands. Either God has all of us, or he has none of us at all. And you know how he gets all of us? We present ourselves as the sacrifice on his altar. It says, because I'm a Christian God, I'm giving you me. So if you're having a hard time taming the tongue, let me give you some advice. Stop putting the tongue on the altar and just climb on the altar yourself. And give God the whole cause of who you are. That is our only hope of taming the tongue. That brings us to our last point today. Point number three is a short one. The tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our, me- our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And set on fire by hell. Listen to this. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Have you ever seen one of those big forest fires? We see them in California all the time. They're massive and they bring utter destruction and desolation. And as the firefighters look for the cause of it, they'll say something like, it was a match. A little brush fire, such a small fire, a brush fire that could not be contained, that started as something harmless, grows into this complete destruction, this blaze that destroys the entire woods. Such a small instrument can bring about such a great destruction. That is the same thing James is telling us about an untamed tongue. What appears to be a small instrument when uncontrolled is no different than that little match that starts an entire forest fire. What was small gets really big and really destructive really quickly. I don't know if you've ever seen on the news when those helicopters are hovering over the forest and they'll say firefighters have now said they have the fire contained and I'm looking and I'm like how do you contain a fire you can't either the fire is in control or it's not blazing at all and that's the same way with our tongues many of us see the effects of the fire burning in our own lives but we're trying to convince God and ourselves that we have it contained Listen, if your tongue is untamed, you have seen the effects of it in your own life. And it's not until you allow God through the Holy Spirit to extinguish the fire that is your tongue that it can then be restored again. Now, when we have an untamed tongue and words, it is an uncontrollable fire. And it may, and what may look like containment is still incredibly destructive. He says that the tongue stains or pollutes the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of your lives. 
Which means with such a little tongue, you can destroy every relationship you have. You can destroy every friendship you have. You can sever ties with people you love with such a small flame. See, controlling your tongue is not just about how it affects you, but it's how it affects how other people will inevitably view you. If you don't quickly tame your tongue, when you get it tamed, it may not be quick enough to change the way people feel about you. And even when they get those forest fires contained, just believe this, there is still destruction that they have to deal with. What I want to save everybody in here from today is that if you have a particular area in your life that is causing you to have an untamed tongue, that is causing you to say things that you do really mean, get it straight now. Before the whole forest is set ablaze. He said, when your tongue is untamed, it does not matter. Most of you probably know this. When your tongue is untamed, it doesn't matter how talented you are, how smart you are, how strong you are, how hard you work, how good looking you are. It can destroy everything in your life and everyone who loves you and cares about you. Because there's no person who is so talented that people will overlook the fact that they just can't stand you. And if you are a Christian, you never want anybody to just not be able to stand you because you can't control your words. And we've all seen it. One idle, careless word can destroy decades of hard work. It can destroy, destroy your education. It can destroy your career. But how does James say that the match is lit? He said it's lit by hell. The term he used in the Greek is Gehenna. Gehenna was a furnace where they would take trash and they would burn trash. And the, the furnace never stopped burning. It always burned. He said if you have an untamed tongue that is setting a fire in your lives, it's set on fire by hell. So, I want to leave you with this. If you are in a situation and you realize, okay, for years, despite my proclamation and my profession as a Christian, my tongue is not as tame as it should be. My life is not as tame as it should be. I don't want to just try to give God a part of me and not give him all of me. Now, I want to encourage you. If you are contrite, if you are repentant, if you know that there are people in your life that have been affected by your careless and idle words, this is my challenge to you this week. Go to them and repent and be in good standing with them. Because just because you got past it doesn't mean they did. Just because you don't see the fire anymore doesn't mean that it's not still burning. And what you will learn is even if they don't accept what you say to them, God does. And the guilt of your sin, which, by the way, 
while it was offensive to them, it was more offensive to God. After you have repented to God, go to whomever you know in your life and tell them, I did mean what I say, but that's not who I am anymore. And I'm godly sorry for what I said to you. Because in that moment, I let my heart speak. But I have made a dedication to clean up my heart. And I want you to see how even some of the worst destruction that your tongue has called, only God will be able to bring restoration in what you thought was a dead and broken relationship. God can do that. And that's my encouragement. Let's pray.